Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Asha. The conversations you're about to hear were recorded before New Zealand went into lockdown. So, there are some things that have happened in the intervening weeks, like the gunman pleading guilty, that haven't been addressed. But some of the stuff we do cover in this episode is still confronting. And remember, if you need to talk to someone confidentially, you can always ring 1737. Our lives are actually a book. And it's basically chapters and how one chapter is closed and another is open. And and some people leave and their part in this chapter ends and other people enters your life. And the way you live your life is the way you write it. The 15th of March happened, and my husband got killed, and I became a widow, so I closed that chapter. Four women, widowed by the Christchurch mosque attacks, have allowed us to share their stories of recovery for the last six months. From the birth of a baby. She's such a good girl, more than I had ever thought she would be. To the Islamic pilgrimage, Hajj. So that gave me a renewed sense of purpose in my life, some kind of closure. Through the bad days. I'm really tired, really I'm tired. And the good. Yes, I'm happy. Very good choir, never very good. As they go abroad. I just need some time to recharge and then come back when I feel like I'm ready. And return to Christchurch. I have not been able to pray at that specific spot in that mosque where I thought he would be so that I could feel near to his memory, as near as possible. So maybe one day I'll do that. And now, a year since this story began, as the next chapters of their lives take shape, another crisis unfolds. So currently in Jordan, the whole country is under a quarantine. I mean, it's no longer just self-isolation. It's basically no one is supposed to leave the house un- un- unless it's an emergency. And um, the airport is closed, shopping malls are closed, restaurants, schools. It's March 2020. Thing is closed. The and deadly COVID-19 virus is sweeping across the world, killing thousands and hospitalising hundreds of thousands. But for Hamima Tuyan, Mahubba Alijama. Sanjida Niha Jaman and Farah Talal. March means one year since their husbands were killed at Al Nur Masjid. I'm Asha Abdi, and this is the final episode of our eight part series about four widows of Shuhada. <laughs> we're having lunch at a halal restaurant in Christchurch. Me, Hamima, Mahubbo, and Niha, and a few others who have made this series possible. We're thanking them for allowing us to walk alongside them, to share their stories week after week, month after month. Spread, 
spread out on two long tables are platters of grilled chicken, falafel, dolmate, and even big bowls of hot chips. Hamima is visiting from Singapore. It's a flying visit. She's just here for the weekend, for the national commemoration that was planned for March 15, which she was invited to speak at. There's Mahabo and my mum Siman. Farah is still in Jordan, but Niha is here with her mum, who attentively looks after Nord. Niha's baby girl is now nearly seven months old, and she's being really good, sleeping in her baby carrier. Until she isn't. Poor Nord wasn't feeling well, but she still managed to flash a few stellar smiles at us. Sadly, no one other than Niha and her mum could really hold her, as the coronavirus had made us all very careful about touching one another, especially a baby. But it was awesome to see Niha, Muhubba and Hamima, three widows as different from each other as the Muslim community itself, all just hanging out and enjoying themselves. In our last episode, we explained why memorials and commemorations are not really like an Islamic thing. A lot of the victim families are not happy about memorialization of the death of the 51 victims. This is Jemaya Jones, our religious and cultural advisor, talking back in February. But at the same time, being New Zealanders, we understand that other people, other New Zealanders in our nation, they want to have that because that's the way they do things in New Zealand. So we accept that. And our widows each had different views of how they would experience the anniversary, ranging from... I think it's going to make me relive everything all over again. To... I'm hoping that it will serve to increase awareness. And... We have National Day, we have Queen's Birthday, then we have Labor Day. Why not this 15 months Memorial Day? Today we were going to reflect on the service. Thousands of people were due to commemorate the first anniversary of the Christchurch mosque attacks tomorrow. That service was cancelled this afternoon due to concerns the virus could spread. Mike McRoberts is in Christchurch. Instead, the woman spent March 15th, 2020, quietly. Going to the park for feeling just fresh mind with my family, mom, brother and my little baby. That was Neha, a 20-year-old Bangladeshi widow who was the only widow pregnant at the time of the attacks. My family friend, Mahubba, she went for a walk on the anniversary too and then had visitors from the Somali community over. The anniversary weekend was um, calm and, and good for me. This is 27-year-old Farah, who's still in Amman, Jordan, with her family and her daughter Aya. I was really stressed as it approached, so the weekend before, I was just really in a bad mess. I cried, literally, almost all Friday. But alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I think that the anniversary, it went really well. It was a calm morning, I woke up, we had breakfast, I had breakfast with Aya, we talked a lot, and then we played, and then... Um, obviously, I reflected a little bit and looked at our photos and because uh, I shared um, some thoughts on Facebook and Instagram, and that was literally the first time I do that since a year almost. And so I was really feeling overwhelmed with the love and, and support and how people reacted to that. 
so that also gave me a boost of um, confidence and serenity, if that makes sense. Farah's best friend sent her a beautifully wrapped box of small gifts to help her through the anniversary weekend. Notebooks, a flowered coffee cup, things to help her sleep, and a very special letter to Farah. Almost five pages um, reflecting on all the past year and, and what I've told her on the first phone call and throughout the year and, and what I've been sharing with her and how how tough it was and all the challenges and she's been there from day one and she knows exactly every single thing I've been through and it was just beautiful to reflect on how much how far I've made it and it made me feel very grateful because I have lots of people that love me and support me and are there for me and and they believe in me and alhamdulillah I is healthy and she's happy and she's she's living her childhood um obviously we're missing out and it's not getting easier, but still, we're just getting used to his absence in a way, but it's very amazing. Grief is just very interesting and amazing because our love is growing for him every single day. The void is still there and the pain is still there and the tears are still there, but at the same time, I'm grateful because I have still a chance to live a better tomorrow and I have a better life for myself and my daughter um, to worship Allah and to leave a mark just like Atta did. One particular Quranic verse has given all our widows hope and helps them carry on the legacies of their husbands. It goes like this. He says, In Islam, it says only three things can benefit the ones that have gone. When a person dies, his deeds are cut off except for three. Continuing charity that we do for the for them for the deceased you know like uh, building a well people are still drinking from that well even as small as planting a tree and it bear fruit and birds are still eating off that tree in bangladesh i'm arranging some prayer for farooq some little child who never eat good food there's always going to be charity under the name of atal the second thing is knowledge that they left behind Knowledge that others benefited from. Obviously, he left a lot of legacy and a lot of knowledge that a lot of people, inshallah, will benefit from. And then the last one is the supplication we call to our prayers of righteous children. And a righteous son who supplicates for him. So I want my children to grow up to be righteous children who always remember their, their father and make dua, supplication for their father um, as best as they can every day, not just every year, but every day. And this is what I'm planning to do. Our beloved ones are always in our life and in our hearts and not a day passes that I don't think about him or, or, or make dua for him and pray for him. Or, or Raya and I reflect on something we used to do or something that daddy loves and, and that he, he likes to eat his sandwich this way, or the oats, or how he fed her, or how we went to the park, and all these memories. And the wise said that we are the ones that write our book and, and through our good deeds, and once we die, that's the end, we stop. But this is the beauty of Islam, that even though we die, there's still a chance to make our story even more beautiful and more beneficial, not for ourselves, but for everyone else. 
There's a lot of verses in the Quran that talks about the book, the one that we will receive on the day of judgment and the one that we write during our lives through the deeds that we do, the good and the bad. And ever since March, I actually really understood what these ayat meant and what these verses meant and how our lives are actually a book. And it's basically chapters and how one chapter is closed and another is opened and, and some people leave and their part in this chapter ends and other people enters your life. And so basically it's a book. And the way you live your life is the way you write it. Just a couple of days before March, one of my closest friends got married in Jordan. So she was about to start that chapter in her life, marriage. And just a couple of days after that, the 15th of March happened. And my husband got killed. And I became a widow, so I closed that chapter. SubhanAllah, I can, I can never understand fully why all of these events happened and, and what actually makes me survive and, and keep going is, is because I try to keep reminding myself all the time about the verses that talks about the martyrs and the verses that talks about he's the perfectly wise and, and he knows exactly why this happened and how it's khair for everyone and how it's good for Atta, for me and for all the martyrs out there and, and for all the widows and our daughter Aya that's a huge responsibility so inshallah I'm gonna raise her to be the Aya that we want her to be our miracle Hamima, living in Singapore with her two young sons, contributed to the planning of the National Memorial Service. And like I said, she was going to give a speech. The families of the bereaved and the injured members, you know, um, we were all very grateful with how Christchurch City Council has, has approached um, the planning of this uh, memorial. They have consulted us and they have been very, very um, respectful in um, seeking our inputs. Um, so we were all very, very grateful for this. Yes, there are a few of us who um, are still grieving and we all grieve differently. And so we didn't want, they didn't want the memorial. But um, many of us understand that, you know, this is something that we share with the uh, greater New Zealand community. And so therefore, we were very um, proud of the way Christchurch City Council had approached this. And, you know, when I came, even though the memorial didn't actually take place, but just the fact that everyone chipped in and banded together and had something alternative, you know, to still remember this day, to help us remember this day and honour the people that have um, sacrificed themselves, um, whether they are alive or they've gone. So that is really touching to me, you know. To me, it's not so much about us coming together every year, but what would I think, what would honour um, my husband? Yeah, so... How we can honour them, to me, is when I see studies where it says hate crimes have reduced. When I see reports that perceptions have changed, um, that our culture can still fit with the New Zealand um, you know, way of life or not and things like that. So when I see those objective studies and those responses, um, that data, I feel then, you know, when I see non-Muslims not scared anymore of us Muslims, when I see us smiling at each other freely and I don't hear of, you know, Muslims being, um, their, their hijabs being being pulled or people targeting our our masjid and, and, and 
um, trying to dehumanise us in the media, I think then we collectively as a society has done a lot to honour those that have lost because of this ideology. Even though she didn't get the chance to present her speech at the service, she was able to share it through media outlets and social media. Here's what she said. So I, I felt like I needed to take the opportunity to thank officially from the, from the bottom of my heart to thank New Zealanders, you know. New Zealanders have really shown humanity how to react and respond to such, such tragedies. We have not seen the level of solidarity, the level of compassion, more importantly for me, is the level of compassion that New Zealanders have shown on that day. And I'm going to get very... Yeah, so I felt like I didn't want to miss that opportunity to have it out there, that I am grateful. And I wanted them to hear that I am grateful. Um, but I also wanted to address my brothers and sisters in Islam at large, you know, not just the community here. So I just wanted them to... I wanted to remind them of this beautiful reminder from the Prophet, um, the analogy of us believers as a fresh, tender plant. Hadith number 558, volume 9. The example of a believer is that of a fresh, tender plant. From whatever direction the wind comes, it bends it. But when the wind becomes quiet, it becomes straight again. Similarly, a believer is afflicted with calamities, but he remains patient till Allah removes his difficulties. And an impious, wicked person is like a pine tree, which keeps hard and straight till Allah cuts it down when he wishes. That has given me strength and I, I thought I could use that to give them strength as well. And then the next section, I, I, I wanted to address my non-Muslims, brothers in, in humanity, you know, and um, basically what is the solution to this? You know, we've all showed up, we've done, we've shown the solidarity, but there is still more to be done. And it's not just they and us that should be doing things separately. You know, I wanted to um, address the fact that collectively, together as a whole New Zealand community, we should... Um, call out hate speech, we should challenge hate speech no matter who spouts it because if we don't do that, we'll be complicit in another event that could happen. Until we understand that we are not so different you know, we have common values you call it Islam, you call it Christianity you call it non-faith but there are universal values that we all hold together and we should hold on to that and help us move forward and, and show a united response to that evil ideology of white supremacy we Muslims, um, especially the ones that I've been interacting with, we are guilty of this. We humanize those who try to dehumanize us. So what happens is that this whole week, when I think about it and I look at how strong my brothers and sisters are, you know, how they have um, come along. I mean, I've read about communities elsewhere that are still struggling four years after an attack after their family members have been taken away, after they've been injured. My community, and I look at them, and they are so strong. They have, like I said, you know, come together, they have supported each other, rolled up their sleeves, even though they were hurt at that point when it happened. They had a lot of anger for him and his co, and yet they strengthened themselves and helped each other. And that spirit, I could still see now even more. And it makes me wonder, it makes me pity it makes me have sympathy for that 
for that guy and people who supported him, who loved, who wanted to edit the video and make it look like it's all a game, you know? You know, we should live stream how happy we are, how strong we are to these people. Let them see that they cannot extinguish us. If they think that they're trying to put fear in our hearts, they have just done the opposite. They have just put lots of strength and lots of bravery into us, and we're just going to move on. But they are still stuck in their, in their dark world, you know. And I, I encourage them to come out and talk to real people, meet real people. Um, there are people that were once white, white supremacists and they have seen the light, you know. Go listen to those people. Go talk to them. I mean, the very thing that these people would, should do is try and verify whatever information that, you know, they have encountered online by, by haters. I mean, be responsible to yourself. Go and check if what these people say is, the tr- is true. And remember, Muslims, we're, we're not just one thing. We're all individuals from different countries with different languages and cultures and personalities. You know, two billion Muslims cannot all agree on evil, right? You know, I was talking to some people this week and they talked about how, oh, we hope the Muslims will not blame all of us for the action of this few. And I'm going, wait a minute, but that's what's been happening to us, right? Because of the action of a few, two billion Muslims have all been surveilled, have all been looked at with um, suspicion, even by non-police officers, just by the general public, right? And... um, But yet, over and over and over again, Muslims will still keep saying, no, we understand that we shouldn't be doing that to you because we didn't want that to be done to us. But most importantly, because that's what Islam tells us not to do, not to because the unkindness of the few that you would blame the others. So it's clear Hamim has been thinking a lot about how to ensure Muslims are not targeted and discriminated against in a world where some leaders seem to accept and even endorse racism. But of course, her main concern is not on politics. So I see the biggest thing for me is my children, the two boys. They're, so, they're such wonderful boys. I foresee great future, inshallah, for them. So I really want to make sure that I've prepared enough for them such that if I were to be called tomorrow to return to my creator that they will be comfortable or whoever that would help me to look after them would not have to work extra to earn for them and things like that. So they, they are my biggest focus and it's about where would they have a better life in New Zealand, in Singapore, at the moment, in the present, I, I still have a commitment in my Singapore employers. They have been supportive in my studies and, you know, I do have to return their kindness and their compassion. You know, I, I love New Zealand. I've had this, I don't know, strange attachment to it since I was young. The first song I memorised was Pokari Kariana. So when I came to visit New Zealand, um, they were asking me if I was Maori. I said, maybe. 
apparently I learned to use the poi so easily when I was on stage in Rotorua. They asked me, are you Maori? I said, no, but maybe if I do believe in a previous life, I might have been Moana or, or Maori princess or something. Yeah, so I have, I have a strong somehow attachment to Aotearoa. So we shall see. Welcome to Plains FM. Thank you so much. How are you? Niha's never been in a radio station or recording studio before. So for our last catch up with her, we invited her to visit us at Plains FM. So Niha, when we're in a microphone, we want sort of one hand. And then we sat Niha in front of the mic and asked her how she's doing. And remember, we used an Urdu translator to interpret for Niha in the first six episodes of the series. After a couple of months of English lessons, Niha was ready to speak to us directly in English. My feelings are sad because I lost my husband and I miss my husband. Sometimes thinking if any possibility I again talk to Farouk. And why am I thinking this is not possible, that this is okay, now notice my everything, make me strong. So I'm just feeling sad because now I'm staying in New Zealand at least for Farouk. I have money, house, baby, everything is a good position. So why am I thinking in the police never punished? Criminal. Then I said, my police officer, uh, if the criminal feeling guilty, when she said me, the criminal said, I feeling no guilty. Then I'm feeling sad why he said this one. So Niha is feeling confused about the fact that the accused gunman pleaded not guilty to 51 charges of murder. These feelings of anger and confusion are kind of wrapped up in her missing her husband. First time I'm thinking I want to go to trial because I want to see in my own eyes this man who killed my husband, who killed Noor's father, who killed Farouk's dream. But now the time is over and I'm thinking, is it good for me? Yeah, is it bad for me? I don't know. I forget this man. I just want to say God punished this man. Sometimes feeling if I saw this man and if I can I ask the question, uh, why brother you kill my husband? Faruk is a good man. Why you kill this man? I'm just want to say. God punished this man. Neha questions whether the New Zealand justice system can mete out a fitting punishment or whether she'll have to wait for the day of judgment when his evil deeds will determine his fate for the afterlife. The day of judgment in Islam is, well, just like it sounds, the day in which it is decided where you'll spend the rest of eternity, in heaven or in hell. Farah has pretty much adopted the same approach. To be honest, ever since March 15th, 2019, I try not to think about that monster as 
much as I can. I, I don't like to waste energy or time thinking about him. So as the trial is approaching, I just hope and pray that he gets what he deserves in a punishment that would stop such tragedies to happen again. Because unfortunately, there are still people that think the way he thinks. And literally the other day, a, a lady just sent us a message about her, a man strangling her with her own hijab. And, and this is just really so, so sad. So I just hope that he gets that punishment that would prevent such tragedies of happening again. But at the same time, I'm just waiting for the day of judgment. And and only then I know for sure that he will get what he deserves. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that day more than anything. What's difficult is the Islamic day of judgment could be a long time away. In Islam, al-qatil yuqtal. So if you kill someone purposely, you are killed. Like you need to be killed because this will stop such things of spreading in the Islamic law. A person commits a crime purposely just to kill and cause harm, and the law says that he needs to be killed, then I think that that's what should, that's what should happen. But here in New Zealand, we don't have the death penalty. So according to Islamic understanding, here's Jemaya again. Wherever you are living, you have to follow the rules. So that means the rule in New Zealand is there is no capital punishment. So we will have to follow that ruling. And this is to keep the fabric of the society intact. But at the same time, even if that means that he's going to rot in prison, I'm sure that um, he's going to get what he deserves. If not in this life and the hereafter, he will definitely will. Hamima's thoughts about the upcoming trial seem to waver. I, I'm, I'm going through phases. I went through in, initially that phase where, who cares, right? Who cares? I do not want that guy to consume uh, my routines, my, my mind, my head, whatever small, tiny recesses in my head. Any of those spaces, it shouldn't be put aside for him. So that was me initially. Who cares? Do whatever you want, New Zealand government, to him. I don't care because he's not going to bring my, my, my husband back or my friends back. And then I went on to this thing about this phase about needing justice. Mm. That means um, to be actively there, to listen to whatever he has to say, and which means every day, 10 to 5, being in the court, um, being in court. And then I went back to, do I even want to sacrifice my annual leave off from my children for this? I think if, if I don't have children, I probably would, uh, would be interested. But that just means that, what, you're taking my time away from my children so that I can sit down and listen to you? Yeah, so I've gone through those phases now. Um, but listening to Sister Niha, mm, that was, I thought she was brave. She wanted to, you know, look at him in the eye. But then I went home and I was thinking, does he deserve me looking at him in the eye? So I really don't know, actually. Here, in late March, as COVID-19 makes its way across New Zealand, it's uncertain if the trial will go ahead as planned. In the previous episode, Mahupa talked about getting Sheikh Musa's headstone removed, in line with Islamic beliefs, which says that graves should be plain and without ornaments. After all, he was a Sheikh, a teacher, and he taught us the importance of not making idols of the dead. So it was a big deal for Mahupa that we honoured his wishes. As a family friend, I've been working on this for the past several weeks, but due to COVID-19, 
My progress has been slowed down. And the headstone's still there. This has caused a lot of stress for Mahubba. She's had so much progress this year, working to overcome her trauma. But big problem for me. I cry every night, every day. Not talk. Getting a spacious new home for her family has helped. But very good choir. Never very good. Yes, I'm happy. But she'll find it a lot easier to move forward once this final thing has been fixed and her husband's unwanted headstone is removed. We also talked to Mahubba about her role in the project. She said um, she doesn't mind being asked questions, but if everything is over, that's good. <laughs> For those of us holding the microphones and sometimes handing out the tissues, we could see that it wasn't always easy for the widows. It's hard enough to confront your own feelings of loss and grief and the small steps you have to take towards recovery. But to share that and know that thousands of people will hear it is even harder. Here's Farah. One of the reasons actually I agreed on sharing my feelings and being part of this is that I'm not the first widow in the world and I'm not going to be the last. And this is life. You know, like people are still going to lose their loved ones and there's going to still have, you know, like there are going to still be more widows in this world. And for me, um, by sharing this, it's not, it's never going to be easy, but you're not chosen to live such a situation unless our creator knows that you're going to be able to live through it and to learn from it and grow from it and hopefully one day inspire. I mean, this is a tragedy. I, I lost the love of my life and my best friend and my supporter, yet I'm learning more about my creator. I'm learning more about myself and I'm even learning more about the love that I have for Atta. And, and I feel that as painful as it is, it's beautiful and it's inspiring and it's even inspiring me. I mean, this love that I have for him is giving me that strength and that ability and energy to keep waking up every morning, having goals and setting dreams and dreaming of a better tomorrow. So I I hope that I can just assure the people that are sadly are in my shoes and have lost someone they love that it's not easy and... Like, never lose hope, because if you lose hope, you're going to lose the light that's going to you, lead you to the end of the tunnel. So just never lose hope. And I would like to thank the team for giving us this opportunity to reach out, not only for New Zealand, but for the whole world. Because we were able to tell our story to everyone. And um, it's been a very, very special journey and a healing journey. But at the same time, it wasn't the easiest um, experience, to be honest, because sometimes answering some questions or reflecting on some situations and memories would trigger. And the, the last time we spoke, I hang up with you and I just um, found myself looking at videos and photos and crying till midnight. And and it's these things that um, make this project very real and authentic because we're speaking out from our hearts sharing our experience, sharing the moments of sadness, pain, happiness, hope, faith, love. So it's been very special, yet sometimes really hard, because sometimes you just have to, like, you know, it's a program, so you need to meet some deadlines, so you need sometimes to put yourself in 
share, even if you'd rather at this point of time not talk about it. But you just have to because there are certain questions that need to be answered in a certain time and there's a deadline. So that was hard. But at the same time, you have to do what you have to do to have your words heard and your voice heard. Well, I went from rejecting interviews. This is Hamima. Not wanting to talk about anything to anyone because I didn't want people to read about the, um, like I said, you know, read about the impact of the incident um, on on us, on my family. To, hmm, um, okay, fine, I will allow myself to be interviewed by some uh, by this media or that outlet. To, okay, so they think I have something to contribute. All right, let me do that, but I'll be very reserved. And you know, you wanted me to be in this project. She's talking about Lana Hart, our lead producer. And I was looking ahead. Wait a minute. They're going to follow up with me every month, every three months, every six months. When am I going to forget about this, right? But all right, I, because I've given them my word, I'll participate. But I'll just give her 50%, right? And then as we walk through and as we go through and I listen um, to what people are saying and Every time I see something, they say, oh, that's really good, Hamima. You know, you should let, let everybody know about that. And I thought, okay, I have this platform. So now I gave a bit like 75% to Lana, to you. And at the end of it, I'm just so happy that um, if my story can find its, its way to the heart of just one person who either was ignorant about Islam before or ignorant about Muslims before, never knew a Muslim, but now said, hmm, I never knew that about them, but now I do. But it doesn't make me love them, but at least I understand them a bit more. If, if my story can go into that person's heart somehow, then I have done what I set out to want to do in participating, in, and, and everything is so worth it. Yeah. So if there's that one person like that out there, please come talk to me and we are, I'm happy to sit down and have coffee with you and chat about myself, my Muslim community and even about Islam. You don't have to, 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 you know, to, to agree with me, but at least we meet and we have that conversation. If you want to be that person to talk to Hamima, send an email to info at plainsfm.org.nz and we might be able to connect you. Again, that's info at plainsfm.org.nz. That connection is what it's all about for Fada too. I feel that we're also part of it. Like, we're, we're helping in a way to bridge the gaps, whether it was between cultures or religions or different ideologies. And Neha. Religion, not the matter. This matter is a friendship as like brother, sister, as a good friend. We are... Men, women, we are as like same. When we cut our waist and the blood is coming, the blood is everybody same color, red color. So cultures may be different, religions different, but we are everybody as a like sister and brother. So we should respect every religion and everybody should respect our religions. For all of us, really. This journey for the last eight months has been awesome for me. I've learned not only about myself, I've learned from the sharing from the other widows and the friendship and the sisterhood that we made would be unforgettable.
Mid-March, 2020. So much has changed since that day, a year ago, when 51 people went to their masjids to pray peacefully and instead were met with gunfire. A day that opened a terrible chapter in New Zealand's history and began a new story for these widows of Shuhada. A year ago, the pain was very fresh and I can tell you that I'm stronger. I can tell you that I'm slowly getting a step closer of learning how to deal with this pain. And I believe more in myself every day, you know, and uh, my confidence is growing and I'm, I just feel a little bit more ready. I'm only one widow, but we all have similar stories and it's the same pain. It's just different circumstances in a way. So this is only one part of the story. Thank you so much for listening to the eighth and final episode of Widows of Shuhada, as we've walked alongside four remarkable women over six months in the year following the Christchurch mosque attacks. This project envisioned bringing a strong Muslim voice into the in-depth stories that came out of the tragedy of March 15th, 2019. We wanted the widow's stories to be authentic, at times raw, and expressed in a way that non-Muslims could connect with. In this way, we knew we would be honouring the victims of the attacks by ensuring their widow's stories were at the heart of our series. I'm Asha Abdi, and on this final episode, we say to the 51 Shuhada of March 15th, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. We came from Allah, and to Allah we return. This series was produced by Community Access Radio by Plains FM for RNZ, made possible by the RNZ New Zealand On Air Innovation Fund. It's hard to put words around how much we are grateful to our courageous widows for opening up to help us understand what their lives have been like since the horrific events of March 15, 2019. Farah, Niha, Muhubbo and Hamima. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts and we hope that by sharing your stories that your lives were made better too. Barakallahu feekum. Lana Hart wrote, produced and wrangled this podcast into the world with support from Nikki Reese, Jamaya Jones, Asma Azar and me, Asha Abdi and a very big helping hand from RNZ's Liz Garten and Tim Watkin, to Kay Elmers, RNZ's Senior Commissioner. Thanks for taking a chance on us. Lots of others rolled up their sleeves and mucked in, including Bryony Lastavika, Alex Harmer, our caring translators Ghali Mohammed and Alka Srivanasan, and the entire team at Plains FM. There are some wonderful photos, taken with love by Janet Gill. Check them out on the RNZ website. The music is mostly from the Egyptian oud player Hassim Shaheen. He gave us permission to use his gorgeous Horse of Darwish piece. And there are some original pieces from local Christchurch musician Liam Oliver. Thanks to Sarah Davison for her rendition of Poor Kari Kari Ana. You can find the Widows of Shuhada podcast on rnz.co.nz, plainsfm.org.nz, or any podcatcher, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.